0: She is a mother, an author, a speaker, and a sexual and domestic violence advocate. How are you doing today, Maureen?
1: I'm good, Brad. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and share a bit about your story and your journey with us. I appreciate you being here and I appreciate you taking the time.
1: Really, thank you for having me, because with this particular topic, it's really important to try to get as many people as possible to get comfortable talking about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, that, I guess that's how we start is with conversation, and, and that helps get the word out there, and it helps other people get on board and raise awareness around this topic.
1: Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And it's it's a messy topic, and it's a yeah. topic most people shy away from,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but I think I told you in one of our conversations, I'm perfectly happy being a voice and a face that's attached to it so that it's not quite such a taboo topic to talk about anymore.
0: Well, thank you for being so brave and courageous and vulnerable to speak about these things. So let's jump right in, Maureen. As I mentioned, you are a mother, an author. You're also the founder of Maryland's Place, a professional yes. speaker and a survivor. I love that term. It's so awesome.
1: <laughs> Can it's you tell us word, where right? that term came from? I have to be honest with you. I wish that I could say that I coined the phrase, <laughs> but I was always like, you know, I'm a survivor and a thriver and I'm a survivor and a thriver. And I promise you, I just was reading something somewhere and the word was there. I've never seen it again. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. So Thriver, because, you know, we're all survivors, you know, we're all survivors of something. But can you thrive after that, after what you've survived? So I thought that's the perfect combination because I feel like it does separate a little bit. It does kind of give you a sense of pride that not only did I survive, but now I'm thriving. Yeah, so it's my it's one of my favorite words. And every time I use it, someone has the same reaction. <gasps> did you come up with that word? I'm
0: like, oh, <laughs> it's brilliant. I, I it truly I is.
1: I, <laughs> I wish I could say I did. But you know, I have that I have big dreams. So I don't want the person who would probably be like Oprah Winfrey, come up and go, yeah, no, you didn't make that up. I did.
0: <laughs> Maureen, so, you did you not coin that phrase. <laughs> well, I love it. I think it's an amazing word. Now, when I hear that word, to me, it holds and conveys strength, power, resilience, resilience, That's what comes to mind for me. Can you tell us a bit about how you came to use that term and what it means to you personally?
1: Yes. Well, I introduced myself the way that you did. And then I I tell them I'm a survivor of incest, pedophilia, rape, and domestic violence at the hands of five different men throughout my life, beginning at the age of six. I'm 57 now. So now I've traveled this journey 51 years and I think I've come out of it with the ability to have created a life that I love and to feel comfortable saying, you know, look, this is who I am. This is what happened to me. And I'm a surthriver because I didn't let it dictate how I was going to at least strive to live my life. I never gave up. I stumbled a lot. I, I, I did. I made a lot of poor choices in my life, but somehow I just got up and said, okay, we'll try again. That's not to say that I didn't feel like a failure. A lot of times I did. And a couple of times I wanted to throw in the towel completely, which actually is what led me to writing the book. You know, I I just said, well, is that always that little child inside of you? And I always say that little girl said, if you do that, he wins. They all win. So fight the battles. Maybe you'll lose them, but you'll win your life. And that's kind of how I just kept going.
0: That's pretty incredible that strength and courage and <laughs> resilience. Those, those words are exactly what a Sir Thriver to me conveys. That's what that word means. So you are the embodiment of that word.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I, re- I do. I, I, it's taken me a long time to feel that way and, I'm sure. and to really embrace it. And I always say, if I can, really anybody can. And I never say it's easy. I never say you're not going to have your moments when you fall you will, I think a lot of people give up too easily because they think well I'm doing it I'm doing it why, you know why don't I feel like she does it's like it took me a long time to get here but with support and skills and finding people to connect with, it's possible. You know, you're you're building this for yourself. You're the most important person there is. So, you know, I think of it in terms of you would do as much work as you needed to to help someone you love get better. We have to learn to take that passion and put it in ourselves. You know, moms, daughters, people in general, they, they're uncomfortable. They feel like I'm being selfish, but it took me a long time to realize I'm, I'm not being selfish. I'm just trying to be the best version of myself that I can. So well, Kudos um, who, to you who for putting that? in the
0: work because I can't even begin to fathom how hard this journey has been for you. So, I mean, th- the amount of self-work that was necessary is just, mm, and like yeah. you said, support is such a key part of this, this battle as well.
1: It is. And I didn't ask for help easily. I, after the last relationship I was in, which was the domestic violence relationship, I woke up one morning and I say that I woke up in you know, internally I woke up deaf. I was silent. I I could hear everything going on outside. It was very early in the morning. So the buses were picking up the kids and I was just sitting at the edge of my bed, looking out the window, feeling so defeated and thinking, you know, all I ever wanted was a happy life. I didn't ask to be rich. I didn't ask to be famous. I just wanted a nice little house and, uh, you know, someone to be in love with. I was divorced. Thankfully, my husband was a wonderful man. We just outgrew each other. And when I stepped into this relationship, I really thought, wow, this is the love of my life. And seven years later, I sat on the edge of the bed and the prevailing thought that I had was the only way this is, this pain is going to go away is if I just lay down and never wake up. And that was the only thought that gave me peace. I thought about my daughter. I thought about my family. Nothing could get me out of that state of, it was almost like, I almost felt catatonic. And then when that thought popped into my head, it was like, it was like medication. Like, Yeah. yeah, that would... Never to have to feel this again. Yeah, that's what I want. And thankfully, my next thought was, if you're thinking that way, then something's wrong. If you're not just thinking it but feeling it, like yeah, this feels good, then mm, something's wrong. And um, I was fortunate enough to meet a woman in the emergency room who directed me to a three-month inpatient out program. Yeah. I okay. Yes. And I went for three months. I went every day. And what they did was they took all the pieces that were scattered inside of me and they helped me put them together. Oh, so this is why I think that way. Oh, this is why, you know, it's not that I'm a failure. And that's when I started to realize, wow, you have really been shortchanging yourself. You really need to give give yourself a little more credit for just hanging on, you know, just hanging on to, to just keep getting up. I guess is the best way to say to just keep saying, no, this is not going to get the best of me. I I know somewhere I told someone when I was very, very, very little girl. I always had this feeling like no matter how bad it gets, it'll be okay. Don't worry. Maybe that was from my younger upbringing, my religion. But I always had this feeling that one day I'd wake up an older woman, which I'm almost there. (laughs) And I would look back on my life and go, see, that little girl was right. It's okay. You, You did it. And yeah. But I still feel like I have a lot of work to do, have a lot of work to do to help other other men and women get through this.
0: And I'm sure you will. That's that's the beautiful thing about what you're doing is giving back to help other people heal through some of this experiences that they've been through that might be similar to yours. And I think that's an incredibly selfless act on your part and wanting to give back and help others who may be going through similar struggles. So again, the incredible internal strength and fortitude and resilience that you have to have kept pushing forward and doing the work you do. It's unbelievable. Truly.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. It feels good. You know, I I lived so much of my life not feeling good
0: and
2: Mm -hmm. not
1: Feeling worthless. That was my core belief when I was leaving the program. That was the last question I had to answer before I graduated. And what is your core belief? And my core belief had always been you're worthless. You know, my mom was a single mom. My father didn't want to marry her when she got pregnant. And it was my stepfather who told me that and he told me in the worst way at the, at the worst time. And I remember thinking, you know what, you just have to be grateful that you're alive. I guess I had to find something to be grateful for. And it was like, yeah. okay, you're just going to be grateful to be alive. And whatever life throws your way, you're just going to accept it. And I think that was the perfect grooming ground for my stepfather to start. He knew what he was doing. Manipulators do know what they're doing. So it's nice not to feel like I just have to be grateful to be alive. Although I am, of course, I'm so happy. I I have a purpose. I'm so happy that I have a purpose and something I'm passionate about. That's the best
0: part of it all is having found your purpose and having that purpose be something that contributes and gives back to people it is one of the most incredible feelings in the world. First of all, to have found your purpose, but secondly, to have that purpose impact and give back. It's an incredible feeling. I don't think there's any better feeling in the world, to be honest.
1: I don't think so either. Short of watching your children create their lives and reach their goals, there really is nothing better. There really is nothing better than feeling like, I'm doing it. You know, yeah. it's little by little, but I'm doing it. And that just gives you everything you need to keep going.
0: Absolutely. Now you mentioned your, your book, you wrote your first book called Press Pause, the breakdown that rebuilt my life and changed a family legacy. This book was obviously yeah. written as a result of your own personal story. I
1: have it here. There, it I is. never remember to bring it. I never remember to bring it, but here it is. Someone said to me, "Make sure you have your book." I'm like, "I will, I will, I will." And then I was like, "Oh my god, do I have my book?"
0: <laughs> Can you speak to or share a little bit about your personal story with us, if you don't mind?
1: Sure. As I said, my mom—you know—my mom was a, a single mom, and I grew up. Uh, we grew up, you know, pretty poor. Uh, I lived with her, my grandmother, my uncle, my aunt. We rented a little house in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. And for all intents and purposes, I just remember my life being fine. I do have a very vivid memory. And I had a therapist tell me I wasn't allowed to keep a diary because I knew down the line if my father found it, he would destroy it anyway. So I just, you know, I just have very vivid memories. The first five years of my life were good. They were fun. And then All of a sudden, this really handsome man came in and fell in love with my mom who happened to be very young and very beautiful. And I remember thinking the day they got married, You know, that she looked like a queen and he looked like a king. So that made me a princess. So so like, wow, this this daddy thing's pretty good. Yeah. You know, I just definitely elevated a step up and we moved into a, a nice apartment on a block that I had a lot of friends. And by the age of six, he was already sexually abusing me. And the thing is in the book, I'm fairly graphic in the book, in a tasteful way, but to really let people understand why men and women who were sexually abused, the, the amount of betrayal that takes place, especially when you're very young. So here was this man, I felt like he had like, look at all the wonderful things he brought into my life, a new school, new friends, nicer clothes. You know, my mom was so happy. They were talking about giving me a brother or a sister. It was like, wow, life is amazing. I love him. And what he did was my mom used to go to bingo twice a week. She would take my grandmother. So on those nights, he was my best friend when I was a little girl, you know, my mom was fairly strict. She had to be. And, um, you know, so it was like, she's not leaving the table until she finishes the spinach, which I hated. And she would leave and he would come over and like, you know, he'd give me a kiss on the head and he'd go, don't worry about it. I'll eat the spinach. I'll throw it out. I'll make sure mom doesn't see it. It was like, Oh my gosh, thank you. And I remember him saying but this is our secret and I'm like no don't worry I'll keep yeah of course I'm not going to tell mom cuz I would get in trouble yeah and he would say that if you tell mom, you're going to get in trouble. And then it, you know, graduate, no, you can stay up an extra half hour. You can watch that show, you know, anything like a little six-year-old would find exciting, a five or six-year-old, like, I can stay up a little later. And eventually those were the words that he used when he started to sexually abuse me. Well, you know, your mom never had a dad, a little backstory, every woman, people find this the most shocking, I guess I do too. But every single woman in my family married a pedophile. So every single woman in my family has been a victim of sexual abuse. So his take on it was, well, your mom never had a dad. So she doesn't understand like the special relationship a daddy and a daughter have. So we don't want to make her feel bad. This would probably make her mad. So this is our little secret. And even though it didn't feel right, it was a different type of secret. Yeah. You know, those words rang in my head. It would make her sad because now I would have something she never had. And I really, I mean, I really was a mama's girl.
0: Well, you were six years old. I mean, what? (laughs) like?
1: Yeah. And this man was, you know, everything to us. And this starts that lifetime of doubt. Because it's the first time you get that weird feeling in your stomach, like something's wrong. And I think maybe I should tell my mom this, but I love this man. And so now the confusion of what's right and wrong begins at a very, very, very young age. And Then as you get older, you go, I should have told, I should have done that. So now you're constantly doubting yourself. You're constantly without looking back and going exactly what you said. You were six years old. Yeah. How could you have known that? It doesn't matter. You've already taken on the responsibility of your mother's happiness, the responsibility of state of their marriage. Now you have siblings now. You and now I'm starting to find out a little bit more about my family's background and thinking, oh, I, I can't tell her this. This will kill her. Yeah. And you take on every bit of responsibility for everyone else's happiness.
0: That is and you far too much for responsibility it. for a child, a six year old kid, a seven year old, any child that is far too much responsibility, No kid should have to shoulder all of that.
1: No. And this is what I want people to understand when they look at someone who's been through anything traumatic, you know, it doesn't just have to be sexual abuse. It can be anything traumatic. You don't understand how much even, you know, a, a child in a domestic violence, you know, family, a family that suffers with domestic violence, alcoholism, drugs, you know, any type of addiction, you don't understand the confusion and what, responsibility these little minds take on. And as you become an adult, you either become a very nice person who doesn't want to upset the apple cart, or you become someone who's angry at the world and is going to have an issue with everyone they come across with that they think is challenging them. So it goes so deep. It's not just a matter of, well, just get over it. Like you're past it. You're never past it. It's part of you. This is part part of who who I am growing up. Yeah. Right. I have to rewire my brain now. But yeah. who knows that? Who knows that when you're, you know, ten, fifteen, you know, twenty, you're just going on with your life. It's like, look, I'm twenty seven. I'm the last one of my friends not married. Where's the ring? Like right now I gotta get a ring. You yeah. know. I can't worry about what happened back then. I gotta get a ring, I gotta get married, I have to have kids, you know. It's just life gets in the way and you adjust in my situation. Unfortunately, when I was 12, a store owner of uh, one of the little grocery stores in my neighborhood, he sexually assaulted me in the back of his his store when nobody was there. At 15, my family doctor sexually assaulted me.
0: Family doctor? Um, And then
1: my family doctor, yes. My family doctor who I adored. Again, another man I trusted implicitly. My mother trusted him implicitly. My whole family went to him. And at 15, you know, back then when I was 15, the nurse didn't have to be in the room with you. It was just a checkup. He he had been my doctor since I was about eight and he sexually assaulted me during my examination. And then when I was 18, you know, the first boy I ever really thought I fell in love with, he raped me. He raped me when the relationship was deteriorating. And so you kind of just live your whole life. Like I'm basically just a dumpster. You know, I'm just the girl that every guy just wants to touch. And, you know, your mom's raising you to be a good girl, but you're holding all these secrets. Like, but I'm not a good girl. I'm a really bad girl. And you're not a bad girl. It has nothing to do with you. No, but it would set the tone for the men and the boys. I would date until I finally met my husband. They were all most of them. I won't say all of them. Uh, the funny thing is the the really good guys that I met, they scared me. It was like, why are you being nice to me? Like, I don't deserve this. Like, yeah. you're too good for me. I, ha- I have to let you go. You yeah. don't want me. That was the mindset. So, you know, I met my husband and we got married. We built, a, you know, what I thought was a normal life. And it took me a few years to realize that when I was looking for a husband, I was looking for a man I thought I could trust to be a good dad. Which is a wonderful thing, and you should, you should do that, but you should also make sure that they fulfill your own needs, yeah. you know, as a part, and he was, he was a wonderful man, and he was a great guy, and he's still an amazing father, and we have a very nice friendship, but I reached the point when I was 40 when I said to him, this, you know, this isn't working for either of us, we're both still young. We deserve to find happiness with someone who really wants to be with us. And that set the stage for me to step into the single worst relationship I ever had in my whole life. And that subsequently led to my nervous breakdown because at that point I thought, man, if I can't figure this out by now, I never will. And I'm just too tired I'm just yeah. too tired. My daughter was in college. So I'm like, she's going on with her life. And it just felt completely lonely and hopeless. And that there was also the best day of my life because that's the day without me realizing it, that I was going to figure it all out. And I always say, thank God. Thank God that thought came through my head. Like, wait a second. Are you listening to yourself? Something's wrong. Yeah. No, no. like look how far you've come. You're going to give up now. And So that started the journey on, let's just pick these pieces up girly, and let's do it. Put ourselves back together completely this time, not just patch yourself up. Yeah. And it's been six years since I did that. Since I graduated. That's a hell of a long journey. That's a long,
0: hard six years. I mean. You've been through hell and back.
1: But the last six years have been amazing because they've been difficult in turn, like monetarily. You know, there's there's so many forms of abuse, emotional, financial. But, you know, I just kept coming back to. But look at you like, okay, so you have to be a roommate. I had to be a roommate for a year with two women I didn't know in a really cute little townhouse and. I remember saying to my friends, well, I never went to college. So now I kind of feel like I'm in a sorority. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know I'm in my 40s. You know, I'm almost 50 at this point. Well, yeah. I was 50 at that point, but oh, no, I was 53. Yes. And um, <laughs> I said, but you know what? If this is what it takes and I wake up in the morning and I'm happy, then, you know, I, I can't really worry what the rest of the world thinks about me. At least I'm trying.
0: Yeah, right. and
1: I just kept going. I just kept going.
0: That's an incredible testament to who you are as a human being, who you are as a person. Like I said, the strength, the resilience, like it's just incredible. Did your mom stay married to this man? Did you ever tell her what happened?
1: Well, unfortunately, it's funny because looking back on it, I really think that I probably had a couple of little mini nervous breakdowns, but I did tell my mom when I was 15 and My mom's reaction was to send him away for help, but to send also send me away to live with with a relative. And, you know, at that point, she had two babies. She had my brothers. She was working as a cashier. And, you know, when we talked about it afterwards, she said, I just didn't know what to do. She said, I couldn't believe, because she herself had been a survivor of sexual yeah. abuse from a family member. She said, I couldn't believe I brought that into my home. She said, and I kept thinking about the happy little girl you were. Yeah. And now why everything that I didn't understand about you. And he just kept saying, Well, those are that's a girl. That's a girl. You, you know, they have attitudes, they have this. And my mother was very ashamed that she felt like she didn't pick up on anything. And I said to her, No, I was just a very, very good liar. Yeah. He a very good liar. I had a lot of practice. I mean, I said to her, do you know how many nights you came home from bingo? And I had sat in the bathroom for over an hour, just waiting, Because especially in the end, because when I finally said no to him, he, he said something that led me to believe he was going to kill me. He had a gun in the house. So I hid in the bathroom until she came home. And when I heard her actually walk in, I flushed the toilet, walked out the door and fake yawned. Yeah. And she looked at me and she said, you doing up I said I just had to go to the bathroom good night I love you and went to bed and she just looked at me I said I did that a few times yeah how would you know that how would you know that's how good I was Mm
2: -hmm. I didn't want
1: anybody to know and I didn't want to make you unhappy well there were times when I was sad but my mom and I our relationship stayed strong even through there were tough periods but it stayed strong you know my mom is my mom is my mom. He, yeah. He hurt her as well. And yeah. he hurt my brothers as well. He took he away their brothers their, as well. No, meaning he took oh. away, he took their father away from yeah. them. He wasn't a very nice man. Yeah. And yeah. then when he did leave, he tried to blame me and my mother, you know, until finally my I decided it was time for them to know the truth. So, yeah. you know, the, the damage just goes down the line.
0: Now, did you have your mom to lean on through these other experiences that you went through? I mean, I know you'd already gone through a couple more by the time you told your mom about your stepfather, but Mm. the rest of it, did you have your mom to lean on? Did you talk to her about it?
1: I told no one.
0: Wow. That's a lot to to carry. Nobody in my family, nobody,
1: nobody in my family, nobody knew all the things that happened to me until they read the book before it was published. And I said to them, I said, look, it's not good. (laughs) I, I didn't know what to say. I'm like, but you know, I hope when you read it, you'll understand, like, it's just so important for somebody to say yes you know and and there's so many things i didn't put in the book like i'll still say something to someone and they'll go was that in the book and i'll go no and they'll go what i'm like there's another book coming don't worry and uh (laughs) you know just to say you know look this was pretty awful yeah so let's start having this conversation with other people and other women other men and i think this is such a taboo topic because it has to do with people believe it has to do with sexuality it has nothing to do with sexuality but everybody gets attracted everybody has a naughty thought you know we're all human and I think when you say sexual abuse sexual harassment it makes people feel guilty they start to think well oh I said that I wonder if like it's not it doesn't speak to everybody's story these are people who have really true dark they have their own dark pasts yeah and I think it makes people uncomfortable because every now and then they may have been a little inappropriate or they may right. have done something that other people would judge them by but you know what what happens behind closed doors between two consenting individuals is your business i don't care i don't care if it's 10 consenting adults behind the door i don't this is not a book about judging other people and and what they do in their personal life no, it's, it's about a... yeah and so is the topic the topic yeah. is about people who intentionally hurt other people in a way that basically takes away their sense of safety, their sense of pride, and just their own ability to, to feel like they can make good choices for themselves.
0: Well, as children too, they're taking away a, children, a child's innocence, like completely destroying yes, that, completely.
1: Completely. I, I always say if it wasn't for the kids that I grew up with on the block that I grew up with, yeah. on, and the kids that I went to school with, They saved my childhood because when I was with them, I was a normal, you know, I was Missy. They called me Missy. I could run fast. I was always picked first because I could run fast. So it's like (laughs) I knew I had a tribe out there somewhere. Yeah. But it's just what happened when I had to go home and my mother wasn't there to protect me. But I can't even imagine
0: the, the mask you were wearing, though, with these kids. You had all of this shit going on inside of you and then Mm -hmm. it's like you're you're a completely different person when you're out with the other kids and you but you've got all this shit inside like i don't know how the hell you kept that all together and kept that so well hidden from your friend you must have just wanted to burst and talk to somebody about it like i I can't even fathom it
1: i don't think that i did as a kid i i well i shouldn't say i don't think i know i didn't as a kid i just wanted to go out and be a kid like my thing was like don't make him angry. Don't say anything bad. Wear your slippers. Wash your hands. Because little things I would get punished for. Right. Just so I can get out the door. Yeah. Get away from this. And just for a few hours, just have fun. Yeah. Just have fun. Take your and, mind off of it all. And- yeah just kind of say all right this is what it is to be normal this is what it is like okay at least it was my safety crew I guess yeah even I mean we've all stayed close so they read my book too and they were like they still call me Missy and they're like Miss are you kidding me like and they felt guilty they're like I should have known I said how would you know we were all kids I said look you saved my life. You gave me a glimpse into what it was that I wanted for my life. And that gave me a goal. Well,
0: what and, every kid should have as a normal childhood. Yes,
1: exactly. And it was like, okay, this is what normal is. This is what it is to see a father with his daughter. These are all the things that you're not living in at the moment, but you know what it looks like now. Yeah. So there were a lot of lessons that I was learning just by people being normal and did, not, being did that not nice bring up a lot of
0: resentment for you though, because you see all, you it see all your friends.
1: Sad. Look, it, it did. It made me sad. And what it did do was make me try harder to be a better daughter. Right. So, you know, it made me try to make him laugh more. It made me, you know, try to find things that we had in common because of course it was me, you know, yeah. it's yeah. me, it's not yeah. him, it's me, you know, so I know that that was kind of like my journey into being a people pleaser. Right. Well, if you just make them happy, then they'll love you. And right. that is not a good mindset to grow up no. with when you're, when you're dating. It's a terrible mindset. And then it becomes, well, I just want to be with someone who makes me feel safe. Someone who's going to protect me from other people hurting yeah. me. And that's usually the bad boys. Those yeah. are usually the ones that step up and sweep you off your feet. And right my mindset for a while was I don't care what he does to me just as long as he keeps everyone else away from me. Yeah. And that's how women fall into relationships that go, you know, they go way off the hook. Yeah.
0: So how, Yeah,
1: that's tough.
0: how was the book received then by your family when they actually, when you handed them those books, like, here's my book, here's how the hell did they react to that? Like what were their, you know,
1: Well, they they did get to see it as I was writing it because I didn't want to shock them all. But, you know, they were just proud. Yeah, they were just proud. It was, you know, my mom has admitted to me that she has not been able to read the whole thing out of guilt, you know, because when you live it with someone and you're looking back, it's like, you know, it's still that sense of how did I see it? But. They're just proud. You know, they're like, if this is really the journey that you want to walk and you want to reach people and you want to help them get to this place where you're like, yeah, let's just do it. Let's just do it. You know, and they support everything that I do. And it's, it's healed us. It's healed all of us. Cause we were all carrying a little bit of our own shame right. because of him, because of one person. Yeah, It just, that shame, just not one person, but for my mom, many, many men that had grown yeah. up, that she had grown up with in my family. And, and it kind of was like, okay, I think for the first time my mother realized it wasn't your fault, mom, you know, it wasn't your fault. Did you ever you at know. any
0: time have any resentment or anger towards her for not protecting you <laughs> ever? Like just even a glimmer of that thought.
1: Protecting me? No, I think I resented at times that she wanted so desperately to help him too. Right. And it was like, look, just get rid of him.
0: Yeah.
1: If you get rid of him, we'll we'll be happy.
0: Our problems. The four all of us can away. live a
1: really great little. Right. He goes away. Like, why are you trying so hard to make him whole? I yeah. should be the only person you do that for. Right. I d- I did struggle with that for a while, and my mother was very. She had a lot to say about the guys that I dated. Yeah, which just that was probably my biggest resentment because I can remember thinking like, "You're such a great judge of character. Don't right. tell me who I should and shouldn't date." Looking yeah. back on it now, I know what she did. Yeah, but back then it was like, "Oh, you're going to give me advice on how to pick a boyfriend."
0: Well, okay, as yeah, as, a, as a teenager to though, I mean, as teenagers we don't want to listen to our parents anyways, what our parents, yeah, yeah, whatever. Exactly. You know, that's, that's part of being a teenager. We don't listen to our parents, even though, you know, it's so funny, we get to an age where we look back and think, shit, they were right. They knew exactly what they were talking about. But when you're a teenager, you think you don't know shit, you don't you know what you're talking about. But yep. they know a hell of a lot more than we give them credit for. We think we know everything when we're growing up. And look, I'm living that
1: right now with my daughter. (laughs) There you
0: go. (laughs) Karma can be a bitch sometimes.
1: (laughs) Yes. And even in her late twenties, I'm like, "Ah." All right and I, I don't know what else to say to you sometimes you, you know, just have to let life. them go
0: through it right I mean of course and depending upon the severity of this of the situation but some right. things you right. have to let them go through and figure out for themselves because no matter what they're not going to listen anyways right
1: no they're not so it's no. like don't even bother
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine that the process of writing that book must've been incredibly cathartic for you, but how hard was it to sit down and relive those experiences? Because that's exactly what you're doing. You're reliving it by putting it out onto paper.
1: Yeah. Well, I was sort of lucky because it started as a coping skill while I was in that program. Okay. And, um, you know, they, they tell you, you know, go for walks, um, you know, go out to dinner with someone, you know, they tried to keep your mind off of your ruminating thoughts. And so one of them was writing. And I had mentioned, like, I was never allowed to keep a diary, like all my friends had diaries. And as we got older, I remembered being so jealous, because I'm like, they have all these like, like, look at this, look, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And like, my memories are just not like that. And I don't have back on, and reference on. Yeah. And so I started writing how the exercises in the program were making me feel for that day. And then as I started to do that, I started to relate it back to a story from when I was a child. And that's actually how I ended up writing the book. The book starts with me waking up that morning. And then one chapter is what we were doing and how I was reacting when I was in the program. And then the next chapter refers to the story that it brought me back to. So there's, a, there's an in and out kind of flow to it that's like, okay, so this is what happened. This is why I started thinking about this. And this is what I was thinking. And it kind of journeys through the whole three months and tells my story. That was yeah. the easiest way for me to tell it. But it took five years because there were wow. some, as I got to, it wasn't the past that was hard. It was what I was just coming out of in the present. Right. with that relationship it was too new it was too fresh
2: yeah
1: and i still felt a little too fragile
2: yeah
1: and those were those were the times when for months i would just put the book away and say no i'm not ready to touch this it would still make me cry and yeah the rest of it was cathartic though and then as i got through the process of writing it and then i found the publisher you know she looked at it and she's like look you literally wrote a book i'm like why do you know how else <laughs> to do it and she said but you've left too many questions. And she would tell me, go back, go back to the. Remember when you wrote this? Yeah. Okay. Explain it. Kind of right. flesh it out a little bit more. And honestly, I was on a deadline. So I was like, all right, I just, it's now or never, or I'm never yeah. going to get this book done. And, and I just sat down and did it not as far enough away from it you yeah. know, at that point emotionally.
0: And so yeah, I had is- the
1: restraining order. I had moved out and you right. know, it was, it was all different.
0: And so how has the book been received by the public, by people who are just buying it off? Like, I'm sure you must have gotten tons of messages and emails and whatnot. So how, how has the reception been of the book since it was released?
1: It's been really amazing. And what amazes me is that people have really taken to heart when I say to them, please leave a review because the reviews are so important and they've just piled on the reviews and I've met people who told me that someone gave them my book and how helpful it was. And, you know, that I was telling their story and now they felt proud. You know, they, they finally saw themselves as a survivor, And, you know, even though, you know, the thing, Brad is life's not easy for anybody. It's just not. And I know that there was a certain part when, when I was a teenager, I thought, you know what, once I get away from him, that's it. My life is going to be cake because yeah. I've dealt with all the crap that life is ever going to throw at me. And that was a hard lesson to learn. No, nobody has a cakewalk. Even the no. people who look like they have a cakewalk, they don't.
2: Yeah. So
1: you have to get it through to someone who comes from an abusive background that. Look, listen, you know, whatever cards were dealt, whatever you had to deal with. Yeah, it was very unfair. But you know what? Life owes you nothing. Life yeah. owes you what you work for. Life will give you what what you want if you work for it and you believe in it and you do the work on yourself. And sometimes survivors don't want to hear that. So I get it. You know i didn't want to hear it for a long time either i figured i could figure this out but you know there's a lot of self-reflection that has to take place even though you're a victim you still have to reflect on the fact that life is not going to just say okay i feel sorry for you we're going to make it easy for you now you have to work you have to work like everybody else
0: well i have to say i am beyond impressed with your attitude and how you look at things i think it's incredible for all that you've been through and all that you've struggled with and all that you've had to deal with your attitude about things is just fucking incredible. I mean, you are an incredible human being. Truly. That's amazing to have that resilience to come back and still not and not be angry at the world and not be angry at men. And like, it's incredible to me. Absolutely incredible. It just speaks to who you are as a person.
1: When I talk to groups, I always, you know, cause sometimes what I speak about can get very heavy, but I can always read a room and, um, you know, I'll just look at them. I'll be like, look, I just want to be very honest with you. I love men. And they all laugh. I'm like, I love men. I <laughs> do, come on. I love. I can't judge a man by what happened. No, listen, I got unlucky. Call it whatever you want to call it. I was ripe for the picking. And now I understand that men like that look for certain qualities. And I had all those qualities. Well, guess what? I don't have those qualities anymore. And I'm 58, you almost 58. I keep saying I am not quite yet. And I'm still waiting. I'm waiting for my big burly bear man to come and give me a hug and sweep me off my feet and say, come on, let's go have some fun woman. You know, like, no, no, that's, I'm not, I can't let people take from me what, you know, the things that I dream of. Will all my dreams come true? I don't know. Hopefully they will. But in the meantime, look, life time is going to pass anyway. So that's why don't incredible, I just start though. Doing you had your I, childhood taken about. from
0: you You had your childhood taken from you. That's I, I just I am just blown away by who you yeah. are. And the mm-hmm. fact that because I mean, you got to admit there, there would be so many women that would just be so angry with men and hate men and want nothing to do with men for what and rightfully so. I wouldn't blame anybody. I mean, anyone who's gone through that, I, I wouldn't blame you for, for hating men and, wa- and wanting to paint all men with the same brush. I, I get it.
1: Yeah, I've, and I've met them. And the, you know, once we have our little powwow and everything and they're still so angry and they're still so resentful and I'll never this and I'll never that, You know, I say to them, so who does that affect the most? you think it affects all the men that you're never gonna meet? They're never no. gonna know you it affects you. You're yeah. taking away from yourself. You're denying yourself something that could open your life to so many other things. And that's when I think they, they kind of give me that look like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, "You. that's where the work needs to be done on the inside. Yeah. What happened to you is terrible. It should not happen to anyone. No. And I will not go on the record and tell you what I think should happen to people who do mm. do those things.
0: <laughs> I, I would imagine record. we're <laughs> of the same mind on that one. So yes. I, I know um, I, I can I, kind of read what you're thinking. So <laughs> I probably agree with you. Burning up the
1: stake <laughs> comes to mind for <laughs> <Yeah>. some reason.
0: <laughs> and, that, and that's but, <laughs> kind.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I feel like, you have to make that connection that when you're still holding on to that, look, I, I know it's scary and that's what it's coming from. It's not anger. It's fear yeah. and fear. You know, the way we protect ourselves from being afraid is we cry or we become very angry. We put up that armor. And the only person that hurts is the person who's wearing the armor.
0: Yeah. You're right.
1: It limits you. It, it's It limits you. So start to trust yourself. And you know what? If you meet another guy, that's an asshole then you know sooner. Kick them to the curb and keep yeah. walking because you know what? There are many, many, many men out there who have been hurt by wicked women yeah. and they True. are denying themselves from meeting someone as spectacular as me. That's what I tell them and they all laugh <laughs> and I'm like, what's spectacular as you? <laughs> you know, this is what this is what you're denying yourself. Go find that man. If that's yeah. what you want, go find it. Go work on yourself first. Don't take there that you.
0: That's the important part I was going to say. You got to do the self-work first, for sure. Mm
1: -hmm. You got to do it. You got to do it. And nobody gets a medal because, well, I've already been through it. Nobody gets a free pass. Yeah. So get off that mind track.
0: So now I know in addition to the book, you have a couple of driving forces that really motivate you that you hold very close and near and dear to your heart. One of those is called Marilyn's Place, which you founded. Can you speak to us a little bit about what Marilyn's Place is? when you founded it
1: yeah i founded maryland's place in 2018 Uh with the help of an amazing survivor who actually went out after she saw how hard she understood the situation the living situations i was in and what i wanted to do and she literally went out and bought me a house, just went out and bought me a house. And she said,
0: there's some um, woman you met you. another another survivor.
1: Believe it or not, we went to high school together, but we knew each other, but we didn't really know each other. But we had a mutual friend who was telling her what I was trying to do. OK, that mutual friend kept tabs on everything. And then finally, she said, I want to get in touch with her. And she did. And we met in a diner and she spoke to me and then handed me an envelope with ten thousand dollars in it. And said, let's start this. And I said, uh, okay. And I started it. We rented a house. After six months, we had to leave that house because then suddenly the owner wanted to sell it. Okay. And she said, you know what? No, this isn't going to happen again. And she literally went out and bought the house. She bought it outright. And Marilyn's place. So one of my coping skills as a child, which I didn't realize, was we had a church across the street from our house. And my bedroom faced it. So the nights that it got really bad, and you know, I would go back to my room, I would put my pillow on that windowsill and look at the church. Yeah. And I would say, so one day, now, you have to imagine that this is coming from the mind of a six, year old. Yep. And so I I describe it that way. One day, I'm going to find a house. And it's going to have a big wraparound porch and it's going to have all these different couches and it's going to have all these different rocking chairs. And the only people that are going to be allowed to run that house are mommies. (laughs) And when kids like me who get sick in their stomach or don't like what's happening to them need some place to go, they're going to go to that house. And all those moms are going to do is hug them and give them chocolate chip cookies and (laughs) chocolate milk. (laughs) <laughs> and let them take their heads and put them on their laps and play with their hair. Oh, that was man. my, that's all I thought about all I thought. And as I got, went through life every now and then I would pass by a house and I would go, Oh, that would, that would be like a nice house. And I never let go of the idea. Well, she heard that story and she said, let's do it. She said, I don't know if I could get you wraparound <laughs> porch, but you yeah. certainly get you a house. And that started Madeline's place. And we started in 2018 and it was for at the time, it was for sexual and domestic violence survivors to come for free-led support groups. Yeah. The clinicians who helped me through the program, once I was out of the program three years, I could connect with them and I did. And I told them that I was gonna, I was, I was going through with that dream. So they started running free workshops once a month. They started guiding me, yeah. you know, because they said, Maureen, why don't you just get your license? I said, because the one thing that separates me from you is you can't cross a line. Yeah. And a survivor needs to know the person that they're talking to knows exactly how they feel. No clinician could ever do that for me. Right. There was always a point where I looked at them and thought, do you really know what I'm talking about or did you just read it in a book? Yeah. I need someone who feels it. Yes. And I said, "No, I I can't be a doctor. I want to be a peer leader, a peer advocate, someone that people can call up and go, this is running through my head and doesn't get the clinical answer. Someone who calls me and says and I can go, "Yes, I know." And, and did you feel this way? And they're like, yes, because instantly they're seen. Instantly they know, okay, I'm not going crazy, yeah. which was always something I thought. I'm going crazy. I'm nuts. Why do I think this way? So we opened that house in 2018. The pandemic literally came and just about wiped us out in yeah. 2020. And I just recently said, you know what? We're going to get it going again. You know, we're trying to do it on a membership basis for all women. Yeah, because you know what, <laughs> women are women are women, and whether it's domestic violence, everybody has a story. Yeah, and everyone is relatable. Honestly, look, if you want to get into like really the nitty gritty, there's always some, you know, there's me and there's yeah. other women there. But women just need a place where they can go and say things without feeling guilty, without feeling judged.
0: A safe space. So I
1: opened it up to all women. Yeah, and and that's what it is, and I'm hoping fingers crossed I can get it up and running again because it really is like it's my passion it's I know the idea that I have is so good (laughs) and I can't (laughs) believe I'm saying that because I've never said anything I do is so good I know that idea is so on point
0: it is though and
1: then what I would love to do is also down the line open a house for men Yeah, to go because, you know, men need it too. like, you know, we can be a little tough on you guys. I'll be I'll be honest with (laughs) you, but we don't always understand you. But my big goal is to open a community is to open a community where women who are being abused can go, they can live for a year rent free. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And they can either finish school, or they can sock their money away in a safe space surrounded by other people who know what they're going through with clinicians helping them. And, then set out on their life, you know, and create the life that they love.
0: Incredible, incredible! What an incredible—that is my thing. big, big goal. And I'm that sure I have no doubt. Like, I have no doubt you will accomplish it. Not one single doubt. I know you will.
1: I need people, Brad. I need people. <laughs> <laughs> I need people with lots of money, Brad.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have no doubt. You, you know, I
1: just—I I envision it. I just envision like, yeah. these beautiful little townhouses and you know, a beautiful playground where the kids can just feel safe and be out of that environment where the the women can feel like I can breathe. That's all we want to do when we're being abused. We just want to breathe and we want silence. We want to be able to just think without the noise. Yeah. And I think every I think that's everyone's right.
0: It is. Absolutely. So where did the name come from? So where does Mar- where's the name Marilyn's place come from?
1: The woman who gifted me this amazing gift. She had inherited a legacy from a woman who was her mother's best friend. OK. And Marilyn herself was the mother of four children who was in an abusive relationship in the 30s Wow. and picked those babies up and left
0: in the 30s, and then
1: married it up. In Holy the 30s, yeah, okay? that
0: is huge.
1: Huge. Pick those babies up. Left. Met the love of her life. Mm-hmm. Together, they started a business. Yeah. And they grew a beautiful legacy. The woman who helped me, I can't say her name because I no, okay. that I won't, even though I want to shout her from the mountaintop. <laughs> Marilyn was her mother's best friend, and she and her mother, as a Marilyn aged, uh, she became blind. She needed help, so this woman became almost like a caretaker to her because yeah. Marilyn's children had moved you know, they moved yep. and she was, they lived the closest and she remembered them when she passed. And she said to me, you know what, Marilyn did this and now I want to pay it forward and try to see if we can get it going. So, you know, I, I feel there are moments when I'm like, I'm trying so hard, Marilyn, but I just can't get my feet under me, especially after the pandemic. But I just, I also know that if I just keep going, something will click. It will. And I, I keep saying, if I can get this book on the New York Times bestseller list, all that money will go to that community. I don't even, I don't want a sense of it.
2: That I is want incredible. I that money to go
1: toward building that community and just being able to go out and talk about it, have these conversations. You know, I know that there are women out there who need to raise their fists and yell in anger and wear pink vagina hats. And that's not me. I don't want to do that. I don't want to march on Washington. You know what? Washington isn't going to do anything for me,
2: Right. frankly.
1: They're going to make it sound good, but they're not going to do anything for me. What I you're doing speaks louder. Women. Right. I want to I sit with these women and say, see this face? Let's just have a conversation. And in the conversation, if you want to yell and you want to cry and everything, that's great because I won't react to you. I yeah. won't push back. I'll just sit there and shake my head. I may even cry with you. But you know what? Get it out and then let's get going. Stop looking for big brother or you know your congressman to make all these changes in your life. It's Look, the, the changes that people make, the bills that people get passed, they're amazing. They're wonderful. Yes, yeah. they help us in the long run. Yeah. But these women are losing their lives in the short run.
0: Yeah, you need a fix now.
1: We at least need something to hold on to where we can say, look, that's what you're destined for. You do it and you do it as well as you can. But we need help now. We need help. These women need help. These women, you know, I correlate many addictions to childhood abuse, to domestic violence. The women in my family that have died, they all died from alcoholism. They weren't brought up alcoholics. That's how they started to cope with their, Hope, abuse, yep. their, abuse mechanism, husbands, right? their abuses from the past. And they died from cancer and alcoholism. And I said, that's not going to be me. I don't know how. And trust me, my road has not been pretty. I, my, I still make mistakes, but I got out of that. I'm like, okay, so now I'm here. I got out of that rabbit hole. Okay, here I am. This is what the world looks nice, looks like. Now where the hell do I go? Well, I'll figure it out. I'll just figure it out and pray along the way. I'll find people who look at me and go, you know what? I think you have a pretty good idea there. I want to jump on board.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that if if you talk about it with enough people, you will find the people who will be willing to jump on board and support your idea. And it's incredible. Now, you say that the single most important ingredient to moving past trauma and adversity is willingness. Yes. Maureen, in spite of all that, of all that you've been experienced and been through, you've been able to find the willingness. How did you mm-hmm. dig down within to find your willingness? And when did you realize that this is the key and this is what you have to do for
1: you? I think the first time was when I had my daughter. I remember when like, they actually put her in front of me. I was like, oh no. Oh no. I, I got a girl. Yeah. Like, you know, right away it was like, here's the legacy and then looking at her father and going no 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 you made this is the moment that you made the choice you did for and trust me my husband and I were in love it's not like we didn't have we you know we had half of our marriage was very very good it was, yeah. there was nothing bad about it but i do remember looking at her and thinking okay so now what do i do you know i had put as she got older every school knew that if a man claiming to be her grandfather tried to come and get her, I mean, I realized I was afraid of this man. Yeah. And that was the first thing I was willing to do was to go into a school and say, look, this is a brief history. So this child does not get released to anyone, but me my mother or my husband period. And it was like, Oh, Oh, I'm like So there was a willingness to make decisions and choices on her behalf. And I could live with that because it wasn't for me. It was for someone else. And I was very good at taking care of other people and their needs. My willingness kicked in 150% when I had that nervous breakdown. I always say it was the, the most profound moment in my life because it was what lengths are you willing to go to rehash everything? put it in front of you, get sick from it. You know, cause I had stuffed so much down into the world. I was just happy go lucky Maureen. I was the team mom. Yeah. I was funny. I was, you know, I was always there in a crisis. And now you have to face who you really are and what's really going on on the inside. How willing are you to do that? Because if you don't do that, eventually you'll die, whether it's at your own hands or, At some point, you'll make the wrong decision and again, meet the wrong person who the next time may go through with it and kill you or just simply die from diseases because you're not taking care of yourself, you know? So that was when I was willing and people said to me, I I didn't, I don't think that I knew it was willing at the time I started to, I put the, the word on it when people said to me, oh my God, you're so brave. You're so courageous. You're so strong. I could never. And the first time a woman looked at me, I looked at her and I said, let me tell you something. I'm from Brooklyn. So every now and then I get a little, I said, let me tell you something. <laughs> you are no different from me. I'm not any braver, any more courageous, any smarter, any more resilient. You could put a million labels on me that you think that I am. And I'm going to look back to, you and I'm going to say, I'm not any more of those things than you are, but you know, the difference between you and me, I'm willing. Are uh, you,
2: That's the are question. you willing
1: Are you willing to say, I'm going to face it, and it sucks. It's terrible to take a lifetime's worth of pain and put it in the middle of a floor and then have to pick through it so that you can find the good pieces to take out and put back together. It's horrible. But you know what? Best thing I ever did with my life. Best thing I ever did. The gift that man gave me was literally beating me to the lowest point I could be at so that I could figure out how strong and how courageous and how brave I was willing to try to be. And that's it. There's nothing. And you look at the world completely different. I look at everybody the same way now. Incredible. I don't, oh, oh, you're not, no, you don't know. You don't know what's going on behind those people's minds, their smiles. If they're willing though, life can change on a dime. Doesn't mean it's easy. It means you're willing to take the good with the bad and move through it.
0: Incredible.
1: That's it. (laughs) My favorite word.
0: Wow. What were some of the barriers for you to come forward and to finally speak your truth and talk about what was going on?
1: They were really just barriers that I put up in front of myself, wondering how people were going to look at me. Truthfully, I was really afraid that men who knew me would look at me differently. And God forbid they might think I'm strong.
2: (laughs) I was like,
1: no, but I'm always, I'm always that helpless one who needs to be protected. And, you know, I'm always like, no, 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 you're better than me. You're better than me. Now I come out with this story. Yeah. And the only way to really tell the story and get people to believe in you is for you to believe in yourself. That was a very uncomfortable thing for me. I was like, wait a minute. I'm trying to tell people I'm capable now. I've never been capable. So those barriers and just people who the minute they they learn what my story is about. You just can see the glaze go over their eyes like, Oh, no, 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 no. no. We don't want to talk about it. It's so frustrating to me. You know, I would love to have a day where I could, I live in New Jersey and I'm by, by the water, by the shore, you know, like, I just think I, I imagine myself standing on a stage with all of these people in front of me, just celebrating the things that we've come through, Yeah, you know, even COVID. I mean, We've all been in a collective trauma, yeah. And people don't realize it. I sat through COVID and I was like, "Yeah, all right, we're gonna do." It. And it was like, "Maureen, you're not panicked." I'm like, "I'm telling you, this is easy compared
0: trauma. to what I've dealt with." I
1: have, yes, I have been preparing for this moment my whole life. I'm telling yeah. you, it's gonna be okay. It's not gonna be easy. Doesn't no. mean that there are gonna be people that are not gonna suffer. But eventually, we're gonna come through it. Just be smart. <laughs> and it yeah. was like, "Oh, okay." Like. <laughs> yeah so you know it's weird but I think I put up my own barriers and I just had that that lesson recently taught to me because I would not reach out to schools I wanted to go to high schools and talk to them and I said oh see talk came out the Brooklyn came I wanted to go and do presentations I'm like we have to hit these kids in middle school we have to get them like because I remember like People forget I lived through this as a victim. Yeah. So I know where to reach them. I know what are, the, what are the critical time. I mean, everything is a critical time, but you know, when does someone need to hear this message? How different would my life have been if I had heard that message at that age? If there was
0: a Maureen but speaking in the schools,
1: there, but I wouldn't put it out there. I'm like, no, they're, they're going to reject me. They're going to be like, we don't want you. We don't want you talking to kids about this. Like, especially now, everything is politically correct. I want this to be polit- politically correct this conversation to be politically correct if that's if that's what the guidelines are I'm not politically correct by the way (laughs) and a high a high school was looking for authors to come in and my publisher put it out to all of us and I said to her oh god I wish this was for me this would be my dream and she said why wouldn't it be I said they're not going to let me in yeah they're not going to let me talk about my book and they did
0: amazing and I was like
1: oh my god I'm living my dream right now. And then when we left, because the social worker did have to be in the classroom with me, Yeah. we walked out and she closed the door and she looked at me. She said, I could cry thinking about it. She's like, oh my God, you're so powerful. She said, you're so honest. She said, what you were saying to him, she goes, I could feel what you were saying. I said, because you have to understand, in a way, I was talking to 17 year old me who was yeah. just starting to make really bad decisions. And I was talking to me in their faces. And I know that sounds very melodramatic, but it's true. Oh, no, it is. You, when you talk from your vulnerability, there's no lie in it. It's yeah. all, this is me. I'm real. Raw, I care authentic. What, what my age is. Yeah. I am looking at you and pleading with you Yeah. and telling you, you are magnificently made. I said that to them. I said, you have everything in front. You're the smartest generation. You have the most at your fingertips do not allow one person to ever take that from you. That's on them. That's not you. That's their narrative about themselves that they're trying to put on you. And I could see I was reaching them and I thought, Oh my God, my daughter's right. I am the coolest mom in the world.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is phenomenal. And you should own that shit. Why not? Absolutely. Oh my
1: God. I own it. I do. I own it.
0: (laughs) Beautiful. Well, what you're doing is absolutely incredible congratulations on getting into the schools and here's to you getting into more schools and universities and yes. all of that stuff. What? Yes. it's this, this message is, my, this is, is needed. What I
1: want to do,
0: do you, and you will do it. I know I wanna you will do. do it. This I is, have no doubt.
1: I'm like, there have to be people out there who look at me and go, she's the real deal. I'm the real deal. I, you know, there's no <laughs> pretense. I don't practice anything before I say it. Cause they were like, do you know what you're going to say? And I said, Absolutely not. You know, just what? it's it. going to come to me.
2: Yep. Exactly. I know how
1: I start everything. And then I kind of look around the room and I go, yeah, this is what we're going to talk about because I did it that way. And I was able to incorporate bullying into the conversation yeah. with them, suicide into the conversation with them. It was like, no, see, these are all the things I have to start to put together.
0: Trust and, allow. and
1: Yeah. It just was wonderful. Really I love awesome.
0: it. That is brilliant. <laughs> Thank what you. would what would you say has been the biggest or most valuable takeaway for you through all of this one, one takeaway
1: that we are all more alike than we are different. And I've heard that expression so many times. And people will say, well, we're all like, we're all more alike than we are different, but I see that on such a deeper level in people. Yeah. And my mess is my message.
2: Wow. It's okay. It's okay. To be. It's,
1: it's okay to live in a mess. It's okay to live in a mess, but my mess is my message. That is and so powerful. That's what I'm meant to do. That's what I I'm, I'm meant to look at people and go, it's okay. Oh, please, oh please, let me tell you about myself. And then like <laughs> just draw this out of them and go and I don't make it about me. Yeah. I've learned to be a tremendous listener. I was that's always key. good at that. I was always the girl who gave the best advice to my friends. But I learned to even quiet that down a little bit to just listen before I gave feedback and not advice. And I learned how to say, well, what I learned was Mm. without saying, well, what I did, and this is what worked for me, what I learned. And it's about learning how to communicate with people on their level at where they're at. When I say level, I don't mean intellectually, I just mean where they are emotionally, where they are in their life. And it's just the best.
0: That's (laughs) incredible. (laughs) <laughs> wow i mean yeah really when it when you boil it all down people just want to be heard that's it they really they just want to be heard that's all
1: they want and if, if we would let people just speak their truth whatever it is look it mm-hmm. could be look you know my newborn baby like you know projectile vomited on me today and it got in my mouth and i'm sick to my stomach and i can't look you know like it could be that just yeah. let them say it yeah Once gonna go, oh it happens to everybody look you know what right now She's a little traumatized. Have you ever had projectile vomit in your mouth? No. So don't say anything about it.
0: Actively right? listen. Let her just
1: say what she's got to say. Real, listen to what she's saying because yeah. I guarantee you it's not projectile vomit. There's no. something else going on there. That's
0: right. That's right.
1: When you listen, you can really find out yeah. what are people dealing with, you know? And they're just trying to find a way to bring it to the surface to the right person. So yeah. they're presenting it this way, presenting it that way, until they find that one person they know has zeroed in on them. And that's when the good stuff comes.
0: That's right. And
1: it is, even though it hurts, it's the good stuff. For that's, sure. that's the end result. It's all good.
0: What yeah. is one that's piece simple. of wisdom or advice you would want to impart onto anyone else out there who might be going through a similar thing or situation to what you've gone through?
1: Tell. One word. Tell. Ask for help. I was on a... Um, Someone was interviewing me during the pandemic and she said, do you have a plan that you can share with someone? And I said, yes, if you are in a situation that you don't feel you can get out of, start to plan your escape. And what I mean by that is when you're doing the laundry, clear a space in one of the drawers and put some clothes, socks, underwear, pajamas, not a lot. If you have children, make sure there's a bag in the bottom of their closet so that you can start to just put things discreetly, not so that they look like they're missing. And look, you're putting away the laundry, right? Okay, you're doing the laundry, you're putting it away and tell someone, I need to get out. Yeah. I need a plan. This is what I'm doing because when that moment comes, you wanna be able to grab and run in five minutes. I'm telling you because I did it and I didn't have a plan. I just grabbed (laughs) and ran. And make sure you tell someone so that you have a place to go. So that you have someone who's supporting you can take you where you need to go. And that will start the journey. That will start the journey. But the biggest thing is tell.
0: Telling it makes it real though. It makes it, you've put it out there now and someone is aware of what is going on. That's you speaking. It makes it real.
1: And it makes it real. And now it's like, well, now I have to do this.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: And now you're telling yourself it's gotten to the point where I'm afraid. that's scary yeah now let me clarify i don't i don't
0: mean to say that it's not real if you don't speak it that's not what i'm saying at all no no i know what you mean
1: by that but it's true because we live we live like in this alternate mind space of no it's gonna be fine it's fine and every now and then it's bad no now the tables have turned now your narrative is this is really bad and i gotta get out
0: yeah for sure
1: and if you're being abused sexually, if you know a child that's being abused sexually, you need to reach them. Yeah. You can't be afraid to say, I don't want to get involved. Too many people don't get involved or they get so involved that they look like they're lunatics. <laughs> you know what? If you think you see something, pay, just listen, pay attention yeah. and listen. That's you it. Know, it you don't have to, to jump this. in and say, I'm grabbing it. Up. It goes back to listening and have a conversation with the kid. Yeah you know, ask questions, show some interest. Yeah, because you may very well be the adult that they do eventually come and tell. Yeah, yeah.
0: You said it's your goal to go from emotional and internal deafness to creating a life you love. Those are some Mm -hmm. pretty powerful words. How exactly are you doing that and living by those words and finding that journey for yourself?
1: Well, my favorite word again, willingness, accepting that it's not always going to be easy, changing that narrative of life owes me something. No, I owe me something. I owe myself a good life. I owe myself peace of mind. I owe myself success and setting out and and trying to figure out how I'm going to do that. You know, just the luxury of feeling like I have a purpose because it's a luxury to me now, leaving and stepping into that townhouse that I had to share with two other women was really it was such a moment for me that I walked into this beautiful townhouse and I'm like, and now I'm creating a life I love because I love being here. I love how I feel. I love how I, you know, I, I love what I walk away with when I speak to people. I love my book. I love my book. I do because I know that had I had this book, when I was a kid, if growing up, it was, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. So we all knew, okay, we all get periods. Okay, this is not a secret anymore. You know what? We need to do that with, like, I want press pause to be the, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. And I, I do not say this facetiously. No, I say it with all my heart for the children who have no voice and don't know who think that this is, I don't know what's happened to me. I don't know if this is normal or the adult who are living behind those facades yeah. and saying, Oh, no, 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 You know, this doesn't happen to anyone else. It happens to so many of us, so many of us. And it's always the people you never think it would. If you ask my friends throughout my life, would Maureen be the one in the abusive relationship? They'd be like, no, she'd kick anybody's ass. Who <laughs> <her."> <laughs> not true. Not yeah. true. Not, not if it was someone that was giving me what I thought was safety from other harm. You right. know, it's like that mindset, where was my mindset in relationships?" yeah and being afraid of being alone, being afraid of dying alone, being afraid of not being worthy enough of being loved, which was really the narrative most of the women in my family grew up with. They weren't right. worthy enough for for good love, so you grow up with those fears you have well to what what we say, see
0: what we see becomes learned behavior, right?
1: yes. Absolutely 100% 100%. Wow. Yeah. They
0: say that forgiveness yeah. is a huge part of the healing process. Would you agree with that and how hard or easy was that part of the journey for you? Like have you forgiven these men?
1: I even from a very young age, I have how do I put this? Have I forgiven them? I think I have compassion. I found compassion for my stepfather because I realized someone must have hurt him terribly. I forgave myself. Once I forgave myself, I didn't need to forgive anybody. They just became part of my story that I had to live through and I had to get through. But I don't feel like I have to forgive them. I feel like whatever their circumstances were that led them to be the men that they were, I had no control over. Maybe at one point they were in terrible positions, and you know it changed them. Maybe they were born that way. I don't pretend to know about things that I don't really know about, like how yeah. people born certain ways. I just don't. But I don't feel like I have to forgive and forget. Mm-hmm. I feel like I can forgive myself, and now I've moved on. Yeah. I never wished them dead. I never did. I mean, well. That's a lie. When I was a little girl, my dad, when I didn't understand, my dad would go to work. Sometimes he'd work overtime and I would think, well, maybe someone will mug him and he'll fall on the train tracks and we'll be sad. But then like this, whatever this is, won't happen anymore. Yeah. Not that. Oh, I wish he would die. It was just I didn't know any other way out of it.
0: You just wanted him to go away. As
1: I got older. Yeah. It was just like, look, I just want you to leave me alone. I don't want to hate you. And sure, I was angry. And, and yeah, when I was a teenager and he was denying me a lot of things, I I hated him. I mean, but I, you know, I just forgave myself and moved on. That's how I moved on. Wow. But, it, but it took a long time. And sure. And there are moments when I'm like, you know, if my mom had just made one different choice, but I can't live in that. Yeah. I lived in that for a long time. And, and I, can't, I just, I can't live in that. Because nothing's going to change it. It just takes time away from the now. So I found a way to heal myself, forgive myself, and then I could move on. And, you know, it's funny because my stepfather died alone in a hospital wheelchair with nobody with him. Yeah. And when I found out, when my brothers and I found out, we just kind of looked at each other. And then we looked at my mom and I was like, sometimes fate and karma just find you. Because here, look at us. We're still the four of us. Yeah. And he's alone. Yep. So, and that, it made me sad that anybody would die alone. Yeah. But forgiveness, no, it was just like, and there's the end of your story.
0: Yeah. Your journey has ended.
1: So, yeah, that's it. You left a trail, but look at us. We're all still here and we're happy and we love each other. And you couldn't, you couldn't destroy that. Yeah. So go, go wherever you're supposed to be right now.
0: Incredible. I think you're
1: going to hell, but I don't
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> Were your brothers not wanting to, to like, just harm him? Like, I mean, I can't imagine if I had a sister and I found out she went, I, w- I would want to rip him apart. Or if well, Touchwood, heaven forbid, anything they ever happened to one of my girls, yeah. I would want to rip the guy apart.
1: They did confront him. I did not tell them until my one brother met my beautiful sister-in-law who had a son. And I found out that they were going to be going out and my stepfather was going to be the one watching him. It was literally Easter breakfast.
2: Yeah. And I
1: looked over at my mother and my mother looked at me because I said to my mother, I never want them to know. I never want them to think that they come from that. Yeah. I didn't want them to be at an impressionable age where they thought, am I going to be this monster? And um, that's when I told them when they were men and they both together confronted him. He denied it. And he said that me and my mother were liars. And my brothers are very, very, very good men. And they're very wise because they said for us to kill him would really just blow back on us. True. And I kind of laughed. <laughs> so They said, we're just going to ask you one more time. And we're going to just ask you for the truth. And he said, they're liars. And they both said, uh, we never want to see you again yeah you're no longer welcome here you're no longer a part of our lives yeah and i think that in in hindsight that really was the best way to go
0: yeah for sure to
1: just remove him you get no reaction from us you just get removed from all of our lives
0: yeah now. and like you say he died so, all by himself so there you he go right?
1: yeah
0: that's it yeah. that speaks volumes
1: yeah it does it does
0: Maureen, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become so successful in life, in what you're doing and all of it?
1: What oh, is my superpower? What's that song? I get knocked down, but I get up again.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I really think that's all it is. It's about, it's about just just not giving up, just thinking I want more for myself and I want more for other people. I want to be a good example to my daughter so she never gives up. I want my legacy to be one that changed the trajectory of my family and my family's future. I tell people I'm magic because they're like, how do you do this? I'm like, look, let's just face it. I am magic.
2: <laughs> and that's
1: become my phrase. I'm magic and hope always floats. Always. Even it, it floats the most when you're at your worst. It really Beautiful. does. Beautiful. <laughs>
0: how, how do you define the word success? What does that word mean to you?
1: Success to me is simply being able to live the life that you want for yourself. I always say, look, I don't want to be the richest. You know, I don't want to be Oprah. I, that comes with a lot of problems. But any journey that allows you to continue to keep seeking your goals and keep reaching for them is success. Success is, it's in every step you take. You know, like I tell people, no, I'm, I'm not where I want to be. But if I didn't start taking those small baby steps, which in hindsight now, that nervous breakdown going that those were small baby steps that I took. And now I look back seven years later and I'm like, wow look at everything that I've done. I didn't even realize it's success is, is just the steps that you take to keep moving forward. They're not always these, you know, these light shows and fireworks that go up in the world where everybody's yelling, screaming. They're really, really in the quiet moments. You know, success to me is having a good relationship with my daughter. Now success is my relationship with my mother, not being damaged and looking at my family and thinking I contributed to this. I contributed to us not living in shame anymore. You know, did it put a lot of money in my pocket? No. But what it's done for us overall as a unit, as a family, that's success because I know where my family came from. And I think we each define our own success. You know, for some people, it is money. Yes. For some people, it's that $60 billion yacht. God bless you. I don't want it. Yeah. I'll come on it as a guest. Yeah, but I don't want to have to pay for it. You know, I I'd like a, a nice little house. but Look, I want a little beach cottage and like a little Volkswagen. That's yeah. it. That's the, If I was driving around in a beach town with the top down and a little daisy on the antenna, And pulling up into my, you know, my blue beach house with its plank floors, I'd be like, I'm a success. Other people (laughs) I wouldn't be, but to me, I would be.
0: (laughs) Beautiful. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? And what was your life like after learning it?
1: The most important thing I learned in my life is that I'm capable. I'm so much more capable in doing things that I ever thought I was. Before I felt stupid, I felt... I felt like I was a mistake. I felt like I had no understanding why God even put me on this earth. And then to put me on this earth and have me walk, the, you know, walk the path I had to walk for so many years was like, man, like, I don't know, were you just off that day? And maybe like one of your, you know, a bunch of angels just got together and said, let's see what happens. Like, I used to have these conversations with like, where were you the day that I was sent here? And now I knew, he knew exactly what he was doing. You know, we all have the ability to make choices and sometimes our choices are just not good. You know, my mother will say her choice was not good and it affected us for years, but we also have the ability to move past that and make it even better. Well, it led you to where you are
0: now and the work you're doing now was all part of your journey. It's part of your story, part of who you are. And now look at what you're doing to help others because of what you've
1: been through. Yes. And the passion is what fuels me because Lord knows it's not a lot of money in my pocket, but it's that passion. You know, you start to learn, I don't need a lot of this and a lot of that. I just need the passion to keep breaking through little by little by little. It'll come. It'll come. It will. One day it will come. And I believe it with all my heart. I believe that this is the key.
0: That is the key right there is believing in it and believing that your passion and also, will will yes, take you there.
1: Yes. And I'm very honest about each step that I take when I fall. You know, we only really find out about people after they've made it. Yeah. You know what? I want to be the one that people know about. I want you all to see on my face, you know, yeah. slip and fall on my face. Yeah. I want you all to know like, yeah, no, that was a really bad decision. This is why I made it doesn't make much sense now. But now I, I want to be the person that people look at and go. So, what kind of mistakes is she making now, and where? How far has she come from that? Yeah. Because that's really where the lessons are. That's that right. That we're all just human. It's our humanness. That's all yep. it is. It's 100%. not something to be ashamed of. Not at all. Yeah.
0: Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you, and why?
1: My daughter. Yeah. My daughter. She gave me a purpose. She started my purpose. You know, she was just this little bundle of innocence and she benefited a lot because with her growing up, I was determined to give her that amazing childhood that I never had. Yeah. And my husband and I worked hard for it. You know, we worked and you know, I worked crazy hours, but you know, I wasn't at home mom. I would work overnight shifts. She taught me so much about what I was doing wrong, mainly what I was doing wrong and how my traumas were leading me even through parenthood. She taught me the power of being forgiven for being human and making those mistakes. She taught me what it really felt like to have unconditional love for someone. Like there's nothing in the world I wouldn't do for you. And she made me a better parent. I I always felt I could be a good parent but I wasn't going about it the right way. And when we found our rhythm, I started to find something that I was I felt like I'm kind of good at this and it's completely different from the way my family raised me. And yes, they judge me. And yes, I don't care. It's my daughter. I can do what I want.
2: <laughs> and
1: now I look at the woman that she is and you know, look same thing. She's got her problems and she's got things she's got to work through just like everybody else does. But yeah, she's, she's just everything good that I wanted to put out in the world. I look at her and I'm like, there it is. There it is. It did pretty good with that.
0: I love it. That's beautiful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She's my pride and joy in every sense. And I'm grateful to her. God knew what he was doing when he sent her to me. And I'm not like a very religious woman, but I believe that I'm like, you made sure she came here.
2: You knew I needed
1: her. This is the child and trust me, she was tough. (laughs) (laughs) but she's got her mama's attitude and I learned to appreciate it because she takes no nonsense from anyone. She came down pure and honest. And she's always been that way.
0: What is your personal motto, Maureen?
1: Hope always floats. I tell people that all the time. And if I didn't say I am magic for anyone I know who watches this, they'd be like, you better say I am magic because (laughs) I say it all the time. I am magic.
0: Love it. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. Okay. What was your dream job as a child? Teacher. How would you describe yourself in one word? Willing. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be?
1: Uh, I would teach them how to have a conversation
0: What's one thing you want, but cannot buy with money.
1: It's going to be personal. But my family's health.
0: If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change?
1: I can only give one word. What would I change?
0: No, it could be more than one word. Just.
1: I would change. I would want them to be more accepting of each other, less fearful of what they don't know.
0: What is one thing you've always wanted to do in your life but never have?
1: Go to Bora Bora.
0: Okay. If you I want came to be one a... of those
1: huts over the water.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if. You... If you came with a warning label, what would yours say?
1: Mine would say warning force of nature.
0: <laughs> that concludes our rapid fire section. Now I'm back to a regularly scheduled program. Okay. What's an unexpected occurrence in your life that you're grateful for?
1: I'd have to go back to my nervous breakdown. Yep. My nervous breakdown. That was the beginning of, that was the beginning of my life. The beginning my of life. the
0: new Maureen. Life. Yes, yeah. my life. Yeah. For me. Love it. What does the best version of you look like when you close your eyes and imagine it?
1: The best version of me, well, right now, I guess when I close my eyes and I imagine it, I am standing in an auditorium, talking to college students, talking to high school students, even talking to middle school students, and helping them understand that they're not alone in their doubts and their fears and their feelings of unworthiness and really feeling that they trust me and they believe what I'm saying. I think that's my best, my best version. But when I close my eyes, that's what I envision.
0: What does the word empowerment mean to you?
1: Empowerment is seeing what you want, seeing what's important to you and not letting anything or anyone stop you from attaining that goal that's empowerment. Being able to to look at your goal and say, I'm going to reach that goal. That's really what I want. And I'm not going to let anyone or anything stop me from attaining it. Beautiful. It, comes from within. it comes from within.
0: If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with any woman, one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why?
1: My grandmother. My grandmother was the most innocent human being I've ever met in my life. And She didn't go beyond an eighth grade education and she was institutionalized because now we realize she was dyslexic and she, she lived her life as difficult as it was in gratitude and grace. She never had a crossword for anyone. She was simple and very happy living in a a one-room apartment, making her bacon and mayonnaise
2: sandwiches. (laughs) And
1: I would want to sit down with her and make her understand how much of an impact her innocence had on my life. It's going to make me cry. Because I believe part of my ability to not judge everyone based on the people Hurt me at its core comes from watching her because people sometimes could be really mean to her. They would tell her, you know, they would say she was stupid or she was simple minded. And my grandmother always led with her heart. And I think that that, I think that is the greatest gift to be able to lead with your heart. And I would want to sit down with her and tell her, Thank you. You weren't even trying to teach me a lesson, but. You taught me to think with my heart, not with my pain. So she's the one I'd want to talk to.
0: Beautiful. She sounds like she was an incredible woman.
1: She was the sweetest. She really was the sweetest. Incredible strength. Yeah. Yeah. Though she couldn't even say my name. She couldn't even say my nickname right. She used to call me Mitzi. (laughs) And she she called everybody doll. Hi, doll. Hi, doll. And, (laughs) And that's what I say to people. I'm like, hey, doll, how are you? And every time I do it, my mom, my mother just smiles. She's like, I can't believe you. I said, it just reminds me of grandma and how sweet she was. Beautiful. So, yeah.
0: Maureen, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be?
1: Listen to your instincts and don't be afraid. Every person I got involved with, I just knew. I hoped it would be different, but I knew but I was afraid. I was afraid of being alone. And I would look at her and I would be, I would say, don't be afraid. You know where you're going.
0: Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, so your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words would you impart unto them? What would you have to say?
1: I would tell them all that they're magnificently made. And it's important to forgive yourself from your mistakes and to learn from them and move on. It is important to lead with your heart and not allow anyone to tell you that what you want or what you need is impossible to attain. If you simply understand that you have everything you need within you, you will be able to create a life you love.
0: Beautifully said. Brilliant.
1: I think that would be it.
0: Maureen, this conversation has been Absolutely incredible. You are you are magic. You are a thriver. <laughs> you are a magical unicorn. You're an incredible human being for what you have been through and what you are doing now putting out into the world. It is just beyond incredible and beyond phenomenal. Your strength, your resilience, your courage. You're an amazing, you're a superwoman. You truly are a superwoman. And I so appreciate you taking the time to be here today with me and share your story and be so vulnerable and share all of this. I am beyond grateful. I appreciate you beyond words. This has been such an amazing conversation. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here and sharing this with me today.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for letting me be on. I, I'm thrilled. And it's been such a pleasure to finally meet you and see you and just to have this whole experience with you.
0: Well, let's let's get this out there and hopefully we can get some people on board with what you're doing and help you yes, attain your goals. And, yes, absolutely. Thank great. you so much. This has been incredible. Just incre- one of thank the most you, incredible conversations. Just amazing.
1: Aww, thank you so much
0: my pleasure once again my name is brad walsh host of your empowerography podcast today my guest has been maureen spataro she is a mother an author a speaker and a sexual and domestic violence advocate thank you so much maureen i appreciate you i hope you have an amazing rest of the day
1: thanks brad you too